When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Modern Adventurer podcast where explorers and adventurers tell their stories. I'm John Horsfall and on this weekly podcast I talk to adventurers and explorers from around the world who have made remarkable and daring journeys in recent years. From Everest climbers to polar explorers, world record holders and many more. I hope this podcast sparks ideas and inspires you to go on an adventure of your own. But what is left for the adventurers and explorers in the 21st century? Well, let's find out. My next guest is the creator and founder of Explorers Connect, a website that connects explorers from around the world to go on expeditions together. She is also an author and has done numerous expeditions over the years. So I am delighted to introduce Belinda Kirk to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. It's so good to have you on. We had a bit of trouble last week uh, recording, but I am so thankful to get you back on to sort of talk about your story and some of the amazing stuff that you have done over the years, not in particular sort of with Explorers Connect, which has connected so many people, you know, around the world to do adventures together who otherwise couldn't. Uh, we'll probably jump into that, but I always like to start at the beginning and sort of about you and how you got into this line of work and these adventures that you do. Oh, it's, I don't know how far to go back. Um, I think probably when I was a kid, I grew up in different places, but for a good few years, I was very lucky to grow up on Alderney, which is one of the Channel Islands. And it's a tiny little island. And so we, I had a completely free childhood there. There's very few, there's very little traffic and everyone kind of knows each other. There's a lot of curtain twitching. Going on. So people don't worry about your, their kids running, roaming about, you know. Um, and so I had a lot of freedom and I think I sort of always remember first becoming an explorer when I was about seven, eight years old and I would go off on my bike all day or I'd um, uh, sort of explore the coves and all the, there's a lot of World War Two uh, bunkers and and kind of emplacements, battle emplacements and stuff there. So there's all these kind of structures and um, I don't know deserted bits and bobs that you can kind of go and explore. And also had this secret garden that was my favourite place to go. And I used to pretend I was like David Attenborough and I'd go there and record the plants and the animals and the insects, or whatever. Um, so I just had this incredibly free few years 
where um, I could just roam as a child. And I think really that, that is, I think that set up something, that freedom set up a outlook that has always, I've always come back to. Um, when I, I, I kind of, we moved away from the Channel Islands um, several years later. And um, by the time I was about early teens, I kind of, I wasn't really going outside very much, doing much adventuring. But then Duke of Edinburgh Award came up at my school and I just, I latched onto, I just knew I had to do it for the expeditions as well, mostly. I know that it, there's lots of elements to it, but it was really the expedition part of it that, it, that um, drew me to it. And it lit a fire again about getting outside, exploring, going to places, finding things and doing things I'd never done before. And um, that then led me on when I was 18 to going to Africa and having my f- and joining my first proper expedition. Um, and that was really where everything changed. Um, it was, I, I, I suppose in some ways, like many teenage girls, I had a real self-esteem problem. I had a, I was very low in confidence and going to Africa and actually surviving it and coming back and actually knowing that I'd done this thing that I couldn't even believe that I'd done myself. I just, it just gave me incredible, um, not only did I find something I loved, but it also gave me the confidence to go after what I now had found that I loved, which was to find a way to keep adventuring, to keep exploring, um, uh, to even to try to dream to be an explorer in some way. Um, and so, yeah, Africa was the turning point. Um, I, I, if I could survive that, then I can do and I could sort of, I could try anything. I think it's very true. I think with adventures, you sort of go out into the unknown sometimes with a slight sort of sense of naivety. And when you come back after sort of putting yourself sometimes through such extremes, it sort of gives you the confidence that in everyday life you can pretty much not be invincible, but in terms of just build your confidence up to be able to achieve whatever you sort of set out to achieve. Something like I don't know, for you was going to Africa. I don't know, for me, it was America. And after doing those, you sort of come back and like, oh, I, I did it. Was yeah. that the sort of feeling that you got? Absolutely. And I think it's one of the greatest gifts adventure gives us that you can't get from much else in life. That I, and I, I particularly, for example, love taking people on their first summit. Because you don't even have to go to America or Africa or do anything quite that big because it is hard. It's a hard first step to do that um, for financial reasons and everything. When, I, when you take people to the top of the first mountain, they look out on the world differently. Their view of the world is different, but the view of themselves is different. And that idea of, like you say, it's that idea that if I can do this, if I can climb a mountain or if I can go to America or Africa, then what else can I do? And I think that's an amazing, amazing thing to, to learn or to help someone else to find because then you approach everything in life differently. Um, and you're, I think, I, I don't know, I can't imagine anything else unlocking your potential in the same way. Yeah, I, th- I think it's always that first step which terrifies people. It's, it's actually when you when this is sort of why I sort of set up the podcast was, you know, 
the more you sort of speak to loads and loads of people, the more you sort of hear about it, the more I hope that people can sort of be like, oh, if they can all do it, then I'm sure I can. It's easy. And that was sort of one of the things. It's actually, when you think about it, it's slightly terrifying, but also quite exciting. And then you sort of, as soon as you take that first step, you suddenly realize it's so much easier than you ever imagined. Yes. It's either easier than you imagined or you completely fail, but it's okay because you also realize that failing is all right. And failing is the only way to be successful and to find out what you can do. So you either, like you say, you find out that you can do much more than you thought you could, but you don't even have to succeed to get there <laughs> to, to, to do it. I think, um, and also I think it's important. I, I give talks and stuff. Um, and there's all, we've got all these amazing influences and people who give adventure talks, but I think the key is that, and I, what I've always tried to do through Explorers Connect is get the message across that these aren't superhuman people. These are just people. The only difference between me and them and, and anyone else is that they've gone and done this stuff. Anyone can actually go and do it. It's like you say, that first step that's so hard. Um, but if you can just muster the, if you can just find your way to make the first step, then I think you get this positive feedback that every other step afterwards is easier. So that first big adventure, or maybe make it a small adventure, because then you're more likely to do it and less likely to be put off by the fear of failing or the fear of like just it being a disaster. Um, is that each time you do something, it, it, you, you kind of push yourself, you, you take it on. And then you get this amazing feedback of achievement and confidence and everything else. And so every other adventure after or, or anything else that's scary in life, everything else after that is e slightly easier. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I remember my first one and like actually quite a few people like we had Leon McCarran on last time. And, you know, his first one was cycle touring and cycle touring is like two different things you can do as someone once described to me as credit card touring, where you carry nothing on your bike other than like a, cre a credit card or debit card. You go and stay, you do it and you bomb around. But if you're actually going proper cycle touring with panniers, you can live incredibly cheaply and you could do a week for, I don't know, under a hundred pounds once you have the stuff in terms of doing that. No, absolutely. You, it doesn't have I think people think you need a lot of money to do big trips. I think it depends what you're doing. If you're going to the Arctic or ocean rowing, then yeah, you, you're sailing. I mean, goodness, you'll need millions. <laughs> well, no, maybe not millions for ocean rowing, but you'll need a lot of money. But if you're doing so many other things, walking, cycling, it's really depending on how you do it. Um, and you can do, I suppose the, the other big challenge for people is time. So you either have to get a sabbatical or quit your job. I mean, that's the big one. Um, and then you have to save the money beforehand <laughs> um, and be brave enough to come back to England or wherever with no job waiting for you. But maybe I reckon if you go and do an adventure like that, you might not want to come back and do exactly what you were doing beforehand anyway. You might want to change. But no, you don't need masses of money. Um, and actually, there's a beauty to the simpler, the simpler you make it, there's a, there's a beauty to that. A lot of people go on expeditions and try not to do it with all the, you know, not try not to do it where you just pay for everything. 
but you can try and bargain for stuff, work for stuff. You know, there's amazing. I'm look my next, the next thing I'm looking at is doing maybe look sort of trying with my family is woofing. If you've heard about woofing. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. the, the world organic farming. Is that the one? Yeah. 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 You basically go and work on an organic farm somewhere, learn about farming and, and be part of a family. And, and that doesn't cost anything. You know, okay, you have to fly out there. I know that's not quite an expedition exactly like my past stuff, but it's all adventuring. And there's, there's just everywhere you look, you can find, you can either be inventive that's usually the way you have to do stuff to be going on the cheap or you can eat. There's even these amazing things like, um, uh, woofing and stuff. And there's things like cold showers or hot showers, hot showers, warm <laughs> showers, warm showers. That's it. There's all these things out there that make it so much easier now. Um, yeah. So you definitely don't need lots of money. Yeah. And I suppose after you came back, was that the inspiration for you to start Explorers Connect? Came back from that first Africa. Trip. Oh, no. Um, no, for about a decade, I worked doing all sorts of expeditions. Um, some of my own personal challenges, taking a lot of youth development expeditions, which are still the things that I'm most proud of, um, taking young people on expeditions and, and changing their path in life um, or helping them to. They do the hard work. I just sort of point them a bit. <laughs> um, and then I worked in TV for about... Um, Alongside that, I worked for about 13 years. I worked in television, um, setting up um, expeditions, sort of remote filming trips for Bear Grylls, Ray Mears, Chris Ryan, all sorts of natural history filming with you know, gorillas and I mean, all over the, I do, all sorts of stuff all over the place. Um, so um, my expedition skills transferred well to taking remote filming trips and being responsible for teams in remote areas that they weren't on an expedition, but they kind of were, but they were filming. So I've kind of, my career has always been around adventure, but I've found, I love learning new stuff basically. So I found different ways to make a living because my, my number one is I want to have a varied life and have experiences and be rich in experiences. And money's always come after that. Or even much lower than that, actually, probably friends and family come before all that. But it's it's meant that my decisions haven't been based on a career ladder. It's more like, oh, that sounds awesome. I want to do that. So um I've had a mixture of expedition leadership um and remote film um trip uh leadership. But also I was a diver for about a year. Um and um I was a, a f- expedition photographer for a little bit, <laughs> um, um, and now I'm writing. I've written a book recently, so I'm sort of dabbling in writing. Well, not dabbling. I mean, it's, it was really hard work, and it is hard work. I'm still, I'm still progressing on that. But um, yeah, um, I do teaching as well. So I teach expedition leadership, um, and nav- I used to teach navigation, all sorts of other things. So different stuff. Um, as long as I'm adventuring, and as long as I'm learning new things, then um, I mean, 26 years I've been taking people on adventures, so I've done all sorts of stuff under that umbrella. God, absolutely amazing. And I suppose that's, that's what's given you such these rich experiences is the sort of varied job titles that you've done and has allowed you to sort of travel all over the world. For people listening, I suppose how it sort of came to you with this and you got your 
expedition leader course. Is that right? No. Um, so what I did was I just, and I'm a great believer that this is still the best way to get into the expedition industry, is to build up experience. Um, you, there are some great skills and qualifications that you need to get um, from the Mountain Leader Award to first aid courses. And there's all sorts of things like the IML. and all, There's all sorts of wonderful qualifications on, and you should look into those definitely. But I think you have to pair that with experience. And way back when I started, there were less, there was, it was less of a um, focus on um, qualifications. There were less qualifications around. It was more about where have you been? What have you done? Who have you been responsible for? So what I did was my first expedition, I simply saved up. I worked all sorts of part-time jobs at university and stuff, saved up. And then after university, just worked up as much money as I could to pay to go to Africa. Then I came back from that and I thought, right, I need to, I, I got this, I got this um, very clear um, equation in my head. The, if I can get paid, even if it's a small amount to go on expeditions, if I can make a living going on expeditions, I can go on expeditions all the time. Whereas if I go and get a job and pay to go on expeditions, I can only do it like once a year or something. And so it was like, right, I've got to just somehow become valuable to people that they'll pay me to be on these expeditions. So I just did more and more expeditions. And initially I paid, then I got some of my expenses paid, like my flights paid, and then I got my insurance and my flights paid. And then I started getting paid a little bit on top of that um, until I became useful. And then people would seek me out and go, can you take this team to Paklamagan Desert in China or wherever? So I think if you, once you get to know weird places as well, and you've taken teams into unusual places where no one else has, people come to you from different areas going, oh, um, from different industries saying, can you help us get here? So um, um, I just, I, I kind of did an apprenticeship and I think that's a great way of doing it. Um, make your mistakes on your own time. Because once you're responsible for other people, you you need to know what you're doing. You don't want to be messing up. <laughs> yeah, very true. And what would you think the sort of one expedition that really has stuck out for you over the years that has sort of transformed either your lives or someone that you've taken with you? I think, my, oh, it's hard to pick one. All <laughs> uh, oh, so hard to pick one. Probably three immediately spring to mind. My first ever expedition, and that was to Africa that we sort of talked briefly about, that changed my life. And I think your first adventure is always so important. Also, um, an expedition I, um, I was part of that I led a team to um, Lesotho. That's where I met my partner, um, Jim, who's, we're still together, touch wood, 25 years later or something, <laughs> a long time ago. Um, we still haven't got married, but that we'll do that eventually. Um, so, but also any, probably all and any youth development expeditions that I've been involved with and probably the Amazon sticks out the most for me and is the most, it's got the most fond memories, both because for me, it was a huge step in the career ladder, I suppose. Um, I was 26 years old and, um, I was the youngest chief leader the British Exploring Society had ever had. So for me, it was a massive thing to lead this expedition, but also because it totally made clear to me how important 
adventuring and expeditions are and how life-changing and transformational they are and how we need them. And it made me evangelical after that about the power of adventure. Um, and the expedition basically was um, 20 years ago, I think now. <laughs> ah, crazy, crazy thinking it's that long ago. Um, I had led some expeditions, some small, some smaller teams for the British Exploring Society. Before that, I had a lot of uh, jungle experience. I'd probably been doing jungle expeditions about eight years, and I particularly focused on jungle expeditions from the start. Um, I suppose that's where I started, or just because I, I was a biologist by um, sort of training, and I love animals. I love being in amongst uh, some people hate jungles because they're so alive but I love them because they're so alive okay I don't like parasites like anyone <laughs> nobody likes uh, digging things out of your legs and stuff but um <laughs> but that's just part of it isn't it that's just part of it sometimes not the end of the world I got this this position I had 120 people 70 of them were young British explorers 20 were Peruvian local young people and then the rest of the team were made up of, of the staff that I had to find, which included jungle leaders and people with sort of real jungle survival skills to lead the teams, uh, but also um, scientists, both UK and also I really wanted a lot of Peruvian scientists as well. So we worked with the university, uh, the local university, and my favourite guy, Dr. Lucio, um, who, was a fan, who, was my, who was just a fantastic guy at the university there in Iquitos. Um, and opened all the doors and we, we worked on all the science together to really make it impactful and meaningful. Um, and so the science we were doing out there could be incorporated into all sorts of longer, longer term studies that they were doing at the university as well. So um, we were doing. Um, so what I, what I did with this 120 people, basically, is that they all worked in different groups spread around the uh, Pacaya Samiria reserve and they were some were studying bats because we had this bat expert um ben and so he, we were doing um a, a bat studies we were doing a, also long-term studies on the birds that were incorporated with the um with the peruvian scientists um also the pink river dolphins um they we were surveying them all sorts of amazing biological sur surveying surveying going on um and we were out there, I can't remember exactly, I suppose about six or seven weeks. The idea of the expedition, the idea of British Exploring Society is very much about youth development. And for me, I, it was really important that A, we included the local people in what we were doing so it was meaningful, but also, but also so that we would create a project that was really useful and not just part of youth development, which is important, but was something extra. So our two aims of the expedition were to show these young people that they could do more than they, they thought they could, but also this work with the scientific research. Now, this is the part of the podcast where we jump into the story and head over to Peru and into the Amazon rainforest. We join Belinda at the start where she's setting everything up in camp and join her as her journey begins. We got all of our base camps in, we got everything sort of set up. Uh, some of the some of the teams were actually working from boats because it was flooded forest. So some of the lucky teams got to live on these amazing. Um, I don't know. It's a bit like I don't know how to explain them, but these Amazon river boats. 
They're beautiful boats. They'd all sling their hammocks underneath in this big open space in the, in the not in the bottom of the boat, on the, the bottom rung of the boat, I suppose, bottom level of the boat, and then live on the top. There'd be sort of a kitchen and stuff, a rudimentary kitchen up there. But there was these beautiful boats that, some, that two of the teams were living on, and they were doing stuff like the river dolphin work and stuff. And so we set up all, we got all the logistics set up, base camp set up, and then the, the, the teams flew out with all the young people. Um, my job then was to just kind of make sure all the teams were, like, doing okay. And I, I loved this part of the trip, uh, this part of the expedition, because I would, I would go out and visit each of the groups and just check the leaders were okay, check the young people were okay. Her team would trek out, and being a scientific expedition, it gave her and her team the opportunity to experience some of the most amazing wonders that the Amazon rainforest had to offer. Some of the groups were on boats and some were on these jungle camps. So I'd, I'd walk out to the jungle camps, that might take a day or two. Some were bat netting, say. They were doing different things. So the bat netting team, I really loved going, that was really fun because they would get up in the dark. Uh, no, sorry, they wouldn't get up in the dark, but they would do a lot of their netting, obviously, at night. So they would have these um, huge... Um, nets that they'd set up in the day and then we would um, check them in the day and, and check that there was no tears or whatever we'd, um, we'd go back out as it was becoming dusk and we'd start to collect as the bats would fly into the nets we'd, we'd, we'd have gloves on and stuff and we'd collect bats, measure them um, weigh them um, became quite good at bat identification um, sex them and all of those sorts of things. What I loved about that was being, usually when you work in jungles, you t- you are active in the day and then you you get out of your wet kit because you've got your dry kit, your wet kit. You're always wet and stinky and damp in your wet kit. And then you take that off, you get into your camp, you set up camp or you, you've already got your camp, you put your hammock up, you put your dry kit on, you get straight into bed. And, you, and the best thing about jungles is you have masses of sleep. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's the best thing about jungle expeditions. You just don't move at night in jungles. It's just not. It's just not the way I was trained. I was trained by a lot of military. Most of my expedition training has come from ex-military um, people. So you just don't. There's no need to move, and you can't get much done anyway. You're bound to walk into something not nice if you're operating in the dark. So, but what was really different for me was like we actually had to do stuff in the dark and it was like this is really quite exciting and interesting but also risk assessment wise it was like oh terrifying for the so we had these really strict protocols about routes and 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 uh, just and protocols of how you move and so on and so forth because it's really easy to get lost in a jungle anyway but in the dark it's even worse um but we would trek out to these different bat netting areas and check all these bats um, there'd be small teams of us and then we'd go around swap in wake up another set of another team they all hopefully they should be ready already they'd then go back to the bat netting um, once we'd caught enough we didn't go all night we'd take the bat nets down we didn't want to catch bats and just leave them there and so it was this exciting and because the guy who was that the particular scientist for that particular team he was a real he was had a real um incredible passion for bats like he was Mr Batman basically 
and his whole PhD and his MSc and everything he'd done after that was all very much about bat science. He'd worked all over the world doing bat stuff. So it was really, uh, it's very exciting to work with people who are, who are that knowledgeable about that. Um, yeah, it was just very exciting um, for the young, it's, yeah, it's exciting for me, but also obviously for the young people. But in such a hostile place with such a big young team to look after, something was bound to give. And Belinda soon had trouble ahead for one of her girls. So this girl got bitten and I had to, um, we had to get her out. I actually, I think I had to um, call the flying doctors for that one. So we had to walk to the nearest river and then the flying doctors came because I couldn't take a day and a half to walk her back. We had to get her a, a big, nasty injection in her stomach um, at the hospital. Um, I don't know if it's this now, but, but back then, even if you'd had your rabies jab, if you'd gotten bitten by something like that or anything that could have rabies, you'd have to have this like booster, I suppose. And back then it was this nasty, massive needle in your stomach. Um, so I didn't tell her that. But I just said, we've got to go to hospital, have an injection. <laughs> so we got this. So she was really excited because she was going to get on the um, flying doctor's aeroplane. So me and her flew off on this amazing, you know, um, it, it, the aeroplane came in, landed on the water. We got in, flew off to the um, airstrip at the hospital. Um, and he actually said, I don't normally, but I'll bring you back because um, unless a call comes in, you're going to be getting her back it's going to take you a week to or you know take you days to get back in I was like excellent right even if we wait on the airstrip and you have another thing <laughs> if we can get a lift back I one thing I really that's really important when you're doing expedition planning is try and make a get a rapport with your emergency people <laughs> because you, it, there's one thing calling people when you're in a dire strait saying we need help but if they've met you beforehand they know what you're there for you're there with a bunch of young people you're, you, you know, and you get a rapport with them, they will always go that extra mile, I think. Anyway, so we went into the hospital. This poor girl lay down on the bed and, and I sort of said, so actually the in injection's going to be in your stomach, but the, the doctor will come and explain the rest. And I just thought I'm going to pass it over now. And, and this needle was enormous. I mean, I was even I was just like, oh, trying not to look um, shocked. But um, bless her. Um, she had the injection. Um, everything was fine. Um, I can't, I can't remember if we stayed. I'm pretty sure we just they said, look, if there's anything happens, come back. But I think we just left basically hours later. They made sure that she didn't have a reaction immediately. We were back on the plane a couple of hours later and back into the Amazon. The teams all had fantastic names, like like the Spanish words for things like delphin, I think, like dolphin, um, um, and toucan. I think they were the toucan group. And yeah, we got back. She had a tale to tell. Um, thankfully, didn't um, get in trouble with her parents when we all got back to England later. I suppose that needle is enough to put anyone off ever going to the jungle. But throughout the six weeks, they grew as a team. And now they were experiencing so much by the river. What I love doing on the riverboat teams particularly was we did some Cayman surveying. And so Cayman um, come out at, uh, again at night, actually. There's a theme here, I haven't realised. I like getting into the jungle at night. But what you would do in order to find them is we'd go out in our little um, pecky-peckies, which are kind of um, dugout canoes. And some had outboard motors and some didn't. 
mostly we use the ones we just paddle. But I think for Cayman surveying, we had to have at least one with a with a motor. And so we'd go out and we'd um, we'd shine you'd shine a torch into the forest along the riverbanks, trying to find. And what you'd do is you'd basically get this eye shine that was of a specific size and colour. You'd be like, right, that's a caiman. And actually, if you kept your torch on the caiman, in on this eye shine, they would kind of freeze. So then we would get closer and closer and closer. Stick. We had this big stick with a lasso on the end, and then lasso its neck and pull it into the boat. Which sounds a bit stupid if you've got teenagers around, isn't it? But um, we did have like all the right scientists there helping us do it. But everyone, like the whole point was that the teenagers learned how to do it as well. So we all had a go. But you 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 drag it in, um, and this was all done for scientific research. This wasn't um, done inhumanely. But then you'd pour water. You'd, you'd kind of massage its stomach and pour water down its stomach. Yeah, I mean tip, tip to tail, they're probably five foot long. So they're quite heavy. It would take a few of you and you'd like tip them over enough to then wash out their stomach contents and then we would survey what they were eating. The idea was to find out what were these guys eating. And um, the University um, of Peruvian Amazon, which is the university we were working with, Dr. Lucchio, particularly, his his main thing was this long-term study on the different caiman in the area and what they they were eating. So we had this amazing team in the end of teenagers from like London or whatever um, doing by the end of the expedition they'd all learned they're all different jobs into how to do this and they were doing it themselves and you would watch these like 18 year olds or whatever who'd never been to the jungle before and they were like catching caiman massaging their stomachs and like doing this incredibly important science work and just owning it and I love that I love the fact that um I was all, it's all about facilitation. That's the big, the big buzzword when you work with any of these organisations. At the beginning of the expedition, you are in charge. You meet everyone, you make them feel comfortable, hopefully. You train them. You, you start to... You, at first, you just try to win trust and make them feel confident enough not to just want to go home because <laughs> it's all terribly scary. But what you want to do is, over time, is facilitate as much as possible the idea that they own the expedition. This is what these expeditions are all about, making people own it. And that can have a transformative effect on them. Give them the confidence to tackle anything. And six weeks in the hostile jungle can do just that. There was this particular girl called Alice. And... um, she had really struggled from day one. She was, I suppose, the person I'd, she was the young person I'd put the most time in, had the most trouble with um, and was most concerned for because um, I didn't want her to give up. But she had a history of, um, a long, she had a history of um, self-harm and so on. So she had, so she, and she had not. She had. She wasn't quite fitting in at school with everything. So she had some problems. She had. She was. She was struggling at home. So she came on the expedition, and she didn't quite fit in straight away. Most people were trying to like make friends straight off, and you know, you wanted to find your little band because it's all very scary. The whole thing is so new to everyone, and she really struggled. So I could see that this was 
a, a problem. I didn't know her background at the time. I didn't know that she'd had self-harming or whatever. I, um, I could just tell that she wasn't fitting in quickly um, at the start. And so I did what I could to try and incorporate her into her team. And that wasn't working. So initially, eventually I said, right, here's an actual job. This is a job that involves you talking to all of the team members and facilitating and taking on responsibility for um, prepping the um, all the science work, basically. Uh, the sort of logistics, to pl- the planning for the team to, to have all the right kit to go out with um, for the science and also actually for the bit for their camp. And so she had to talk to every team member, make sure that everyone had the right stuff, but also between them that as a team, they had everything. And she, she took on the role and it really, I, you could see that it was really helping her. She started to make a few more bonds and she was, um, she was talking to people more and so on. It helped her to make those first steps that she was finding she was struggling with, this having this job. Weeks later, I went out to her expedition camp and we walked out and I found this, this, <laughs> this young woman striding around the camp, bossing everyone around. And I was like, that's Alice. <laughs> and I was like, that is not the girl I met on the plane. That is this, wow. Bless her. She was quite bossy. It was quite good. Um, but she, she'd found like this confidence that she, 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 she obviously, um, well, she told me she'd never had that sort of, she'd never been given that sort of responsibility. No one had trusted her at school with anything like that. And she was like, yeah, I really enjoyed it actually. So then I wanted to be the camp manager and I took that on as well. And, um, and she was, she would kind of, she was basically the other leader in the leader team by this point and she was really um she was really running things and you could tell that that the team members not only respected her but also they liked her for it you know and and she liked herself for it as well I think we come back and then after we've all come home back to Britain six months later or so we all meet up and have um this gathering it's called and that's at the Royal Geographical Society and you present your expedition and I was, um, everyone was stood in the queue in the rain. Um, and I was saying hi to all the, all the, all the team because I hadn't seen them for six months. And this woman came up to me and she said, um, what have you done to my daughter? And I was like, oh no, this is the bat woman. This is the, this is the mum of the bat girl. Or maybe it's one of the kids who got malaria. And maybe she's like, I couldn't, you can't stop kids somebody's going to get malaria you, you know we gave them all the right prophylaxis and all that but um I was like I'm in trouble and then she just gave me this enormous hug and I was like like oh um and I was just really confused for a second I was like and then she said um Alice has just completely changed and come out of herself she's found herself or something like that she's come out of herself and she's found herself I can't remember the exact words but I just remember her saying, what have you done to my daughter? And then hugging me. And I was like, Alice, oh. And so six months later, she explained to me how Alice was now doing really well at school um, because she was making, she'd made some friends. Her, even her grades had come up. Not that that's the priority, I don't think. But she had started to really build, her confidence had built. And so therefore she, had, she was happy in herself and, she, and life was going better for her. Um, and she was saying she helps out at home with all the chores and without being asked and just her general happiness level had gone up and how she was approaching life and therefore how she was going to go through life, I think. And um, it was such an extraordinary moment for me because I thought, 
it's not just me that my life has been changed by adventures and expeditions. And it's not just on expedition that the, I see these incredible transformations. It's long lasting. You can actually impact people's journey through life through these wonderful expeditions. Um, and it was, a, it was a big moment for me because I was like, no, there's something to this and I really want to understand it. And I spent the next 10 years trying to understand it. And that's why I eventually wrote a book about why adventure is so essential for well-being because I couldn't I just I think we don't in our world in our society now we don't appreciate what is you know why adventure is so good for us and, and what an incredible opportunity it is and it doesn't have to be a big expedition even smaller adventures close to home you know there's this wonderful opportunity for personal and uh, personal development and and healing and transformation and um, and I've all I've seen that for 26 years I've seen that of, for all sorts of ages and backgrounds of people um, I've seen that transformation through adventure and so that's where I think that's where I really I for the first time I was like I am now gonna I'm gonna tell everyone about why they should be going on expeditions. That was the most incredible story from Belinda, and now we circle back to our conversation that Belinda and I had about this expedition. And something that I don't think people really understand until they've sort of done it in a sense. And that sort of story of Alice is just such an amazing story to sort of tell because it sort of gives people the understanding of just how powerful to go on, I don't know, one of these trips or to go outside your comfort zone can do to your confidence and your own self-esteem. Yeah, it really is. And I think at that moment, it was all about expeditions. I set up Explorers Connect because I said, I was, I was always telling people expeditions change your life. Everyone should do one expedition at least in their life because it will, it will empower you it will show you what you can do. It'll change, you know, it'll help you. So I was all, I always used to say expeditions change lives. And, um, but then over the years, as I've understood it more and I've done smaller adventures and taken people on smaller adventures, not just big expeditions, it's adventuring. It's this idea of choosing a challenge, a very natural challenge, choosing the unknown, going into the unknown, the great unknown, knowingly, you know, choosing it. And also, this idea of choosing adversity because an adventure is not an adventure unless you're cold and wet and hungry or something at some point. The type two fun. <laughs> the type two fun, exactly. Um, and so I think there's this, yeah, there's this wonderful opportunity to, um, to go on an adventure. And I think if you're, there's so much, there's, A, we've got a terrible, we have a real mental health crisis in the, in the country at the moment, but we also have a health crisis, physical health crisis. And I think you can, you're, we're all under so much pressure to like go to the gym more, eat less sugar, um, do all this stuff. And it's all a bit boring and a bit, a bit difficult to do because you don't really want to do that. So I hate gym. I hate going to gym, but going on an adventure, this will help you physically and mentally. Oh. Okay, that's a bit more endear and it's a bit more inviting, isn't it? And actually, once you get, once, as you say, once you do one, you're hooked. You have to go on these things. Um, um, you know, whether it be small ones regularly or big ones every, I think you need a big expedition like that every, every turning point in your life. Um, 
like, you know, getting married, having kids, all of these, these big turning points in life, you should go on a big expedition to kind of redefine you and what's cap- you're capable of and what you want in life and your values and everything. So that, yeah, no matter what size of adventure you need, it's such, there's a great opportunity out there to be your best self, to live your best life through adventuring. And yeah, what a nice thing to do. <laughs> it's fun. Oh, it's absolutely amazing. And, you know, what a story. And for anyone listening, you know, it really shows the power of these sort of trips and these expeditions. Yes. Thank you. There's a part of the show where we ask the same five questions to each guest each week. Um, with the first being on these trips and expeditions, what's the one gadget that you always take with you? It's not very exciting. I used to take a pen knife on every expedition and then hardly ever use one <laughs> half the time. Do you know what? I've got my favourite water bottle. <laughs> it's not very exciting. You always need water. My water bottle is this old SIG bottle. It is battered and busted, but it means the world to me because it's been with me since I was 18. It's been on pretty much every expedition with me. That's so funny. So is mine. Mine's uh, like a red SIG bottle. It's got every sort of puncher from being dropped in the mountain to being stood on, you know, all these sort of markers of each adventure, really. Yeah, mine's red as well. It's a red signal. <laughs> yeah. Is that the same? Yeah. Knack is battered, but yeah. it's uh, got a story. Absolutely <laughs> battered. Um, what about your favourite adventure or travel book? Oh, there's loads. Do you know, probably the one that impacted me, I mean, there's so many, but just pick one that pops into my mind, Into the Wild. I'm a great fan of that book. It's extraordinary journalism and extraordinarily written. But it's mostly because the story is just, I don't know. It's about Chris McCandless. And I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a story. It, it's a very sad story, obviously, but it's a story that we can all learn from, I think. And I think that something about that book made me realize that I'm not the only one who has this yearning to be in the wild to, I don't know. I think it speaks to every age. Oh, sorry. I, I think it is timeless and speaks to every generation. And that's why it's still out there because it's, it doesn't, it doesn't age. It's, it's, it's got a very important message. Yeah, I, I can agree more. I think it's really, I think, you know, we all have that yearning to be in nature and, you know, over the last, as human beings, over the last sort of 200 years, we've sort of moved out of nature into more urban environments. And, you know, it's slightly unnatural. And I think every, a lot of people have that yearning to get back to that sort of natural habitat in a sense. Does that make sense? I'm not sure. Yeah, no, it, sound, <laughs> it sounds like you're reading from my book. I completely agree. <laughs> um, no, no, totally. We are, it is the most natural thing in the world to go on an adventure and to spend time in nature. Well, um, I, I think. Especially in wild nature, though. Mm. Yeah. In wild, uncontrolled, unknown, untamed. It's like when you see those pictures when you see those pictures from fifty years ago, and like nothing's changed in those. You know, no houses, no cities have been built on. You take a picture from nineteen fifty to oh, we're in twenty twenty, so that's seventy. But um, you know, seventy years later, it's still exactly the same, just less sepia looking. 
<laughs> better, yeah, better picture, better quality picture, but that's all. Well, this probably yeah. this probably leads on nicely to your book, but why are adventures important to you? To me, uh, adventure has changed my life and continues to. Um, I Obviously, there was the, when I was 18, it totally changed my path through life. I think I'd have been a very, sen- I'd had a very sensible career if I hadn't gone to Africa. I'd be like a solicitor or a doctor. And those are great jobs and we need those people. But it's not who I wanted. It's not actually the authentic me. That wasn't where I wanted to really go. But I think I would have been sensible if I hadn't gone to Africa. So Africa and adventure has shown me the confidence to and to go after what I want. But it's also given me the authenticity to find my own voice. So adventure to me personally is is an essential part of my life um, and continues to be because even recently I have taken, I became a parent. I've got a little one. Becoming a parent is an enormous life change. And I took my own advice from my book and from my research that I, we needed as a family to go away because we needed to step outside of every day. We needed to go and do a challenge that brought us together to, to do something that we were doing together. And we, we started walking across the Canary Islands. And as a family, we've never been closer. And, you know, the destination was for us to, to become a stronger family um, and to improve the relationships between us. We were doing pretty good, well, but like my, my partner, Jim, and our son have never been closer. And I don't know. And we're all of us, all of us have a, we've all changed from it. So adventure is an essential part of living our, my best life, our best life. And I think uh, past that and, you know, talking about that, encouraging other people to understand, helping other people to understand that, writing my book about it so that we understand that we give adventure time. Adventure is important for me because it it feels like the meaning in my life is to put back, put that back as well, is to help other people see that, encourage other people to do adventuring through Explorers Connect or through reading the book and going, okay, I'm going to make time for some adventures just to see if this works. Um, Yeah, meaning is giving me great meaning. Nice. And what about your favorite quote? Quote, like any quote. Yeah, like motivational, travel. Um, uh, oh gosh, there's loads. I can't think of one. Do you know one that I quoted to someone recently? Cause I keep having to tell myself this is because I, I'm a worrier. I have to, I, I can really get into anxiety if I'm not careful. So, um, adventures been part of the reason why I'm quite, I'm better at dealing with that. And Mark Twain had a great quote. I'm probably going to misquote this, but I just said this to someone recently, most of the things I've worried about in life never happened. And this idea that we can spend so much time stressing about things going wrong and they, you know, they probably won't even go wrong. Um, you know, instead, think about all the things that could go right. So go, be brave, do stuff, jump on an adventure, even though it's probably not the best, most sensible thing. Who cares about being sensible? Living life is why we're here, not about being sensible. And just, yeah, any of the worries that you're worrying about, they probably won't even happen. So just might as well just go and go for it. Yeah, it's something like 85% of the things you worry about are one, won't happen, and two, completely out of your control. So yeah, might as well try and control the things you can control. Yes, and not worry about the stuff that 
either you can't control or probably won't happen anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, people listening are always keen to travel and go on these sort of grand adventures. What's the one thing you would recommend to people wanting to get started? To do something now. Because procrastination is, let's face it, we all do it. It's human nature. It took me seven years to write my book. I've been talking about this stuff for about eight years, nine years. It took me seven years to actually write the book. And that's only because COVID locked me down. <laughs> procrastination is a disastrous thing and it will keep you from living. So just do something. Book the flight today or do something. Just make, if, the, if it's too intimidating what you have in your head, then do something smaller, but make some steps. Do something. I think the key is just to start. Um, don't plan and think and whatever procrastinate just do just commit do you know once you've bought the ticket once you've quit your job sent in your resignation letter or ask for sabbatical you don't have to quit the job yeah ask for a sabbatical or whatever it is once you've told everyone I'm doing it that's a great way of doing it tell everyone you're going to do something then the embarrassment of the social embarrassment of not doing it is greater than <laughs> the actual fear of doing it so sometimes it makes you get on and get on with it Tell everyone, right, I'm going to do this. Announce it on Facebook. Tell all your friends in the pub. Then you'll have to go and do it. There's a weird psychology behind that sometimes. It's something mm -hmm. like they get, there was a study done and they gave, you know, 15 people, they'd have to tell them uh, that they're going to do it. And then six months later, they'd find out if they actually did it. And another 15 who were told, whatever you do, do not tell anyone write it down and go and do it. And they found that people who didn't tell anyone actually had a higher success rate of actually going out and going to achieve it. It's a very sort of, di oh, it's really weird psychology behind it. Where did you, oh, I'd love to read that because my way of catching myself from not being, letting fear beat me is just to tell people I'm doing something. And it's off, you know, usually after a gin and tonic somewhere, I go, yes, right, we're going to go and row around Britain or something. <laughs> and then I'm kind of like, oh, I have to do that. Yeah. But that's interesting that you found something that says maybe it works. Well, it's, it's, it's weird because like we had Geordie Stewart on episode four who said, you know, like once you book the flight, that's a great motivator or put down the deposit on something. That's a great motivation. But yeah. just telling people, apparently the sort of psychology behind it is that your mind has already told you that you're doing it. And that sort of sense of elation or whatever it is in your head has already come about rather than waited. Oh. It, it's a, I suppose it, it depends what you're doing. If it, because you still have to get over this embarrassment of telling everyone, oh, actually, I never we never got to the start line um i suppose things that are be you think might be beyond you or something i don't know maybe that's when it works best or i don't know or tell when there's no going back in a sense like you've booked the flight you're you're ready to go and then you tell people so there's no sort of oh i can't get out of this now yeah i for me definitely it still works if once i start telling people i'm doing it it's like, it's part of reinforcing. Yeah, I can do this. I'm going to do it. Yeah, let's just do it. Okay, let's do it. Um, but maybe it works with certain things and not others. Yeah. But adventure stuff, it seems, to, it, um, taking on big adventures it always seems to have worked for me anyway. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, it's different, different for different people. 
And I sort of agree with get you on started. that. It definitely sounds like the, it's the better thing to do. The main thing is get started, isn't it? Mm. Just get on with just it. I'm a great, I, I think humans procrastinate because fear gets in the way and, and also stuff, busy, busyness gets in the way. So, you know, our society is so busy. It's like, it's a nightmare, isn't it? So you just have to make the space for it now. You have to do something now. Otherwise it won't happen. Yeah, very true. And finally, what are you doing now and how can people follow you in the future? Um, I'm doing, um, I'm doing lots of ventures with my little one. Um, I'm, um, I'm, I'm running a few courses. Um, I am talking a lot, um, wherever I can and, and, and spreading the world word wherever I can about the power of adventure for wellbeing. So I'm doing a lot of speaking and, um, bits and bobs like that. Um, uh, incredibly in, in some interesting meetings with people trying to get to get change to happen, basically, to get adventure into our society in a more structured way, potentially. Um, so all sorts of things like that. I'm, I'm still running Explorers Connect. That's all about helping people to find other people for expeditions and adventures. Um, I'm running a, a few small adventures of my own that I take people on as well, but I, I, I only run a few of those nowadays while my little one's so little. Um, so lots of things, but it's all very adventure-based. Um, I'm on um, all the social media things. Um, I'm at explore. Uh, what is it? At Explorer Belinda. Also, you can contact me through Explorers Connect. Um, yeah, my book's out there. It's on uh, all the usual platforms as a Kindle or an audio book, or a, um, or I'm happy to send you a signed version. Um, yeah, I'm mostly. I'm just. I'm being a mum, and I'm trying to get the word out there that adventure is important to our well-being because I think there's a great opportunity that we are missing out on and it's a fun opportunity so uh, yeah that's mostly what I'm doing <laughs> well we'll leave a link in the description to explorers connect your your book and your instagram account so people can find you there and yeah, yeah go go check out her book uh the adventure revolution yes adventure revolution and um well belinda it's been such a pleasure listening and talking to you uh today and I can't thank you enough for coming on. It's been great. It's been really nice to reminisce about Amazon. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a, it's a long time. Wow. It's an, uh, so it's been really fun to think about it. It was an incredible story. Thank you. Thank you for listening. With that episode, that draws a line under season one. And it's a little snippet into what season two has to offer. This podcast has always been about letting people tell their stories and with the new season just around the corner, it'll be a new format and a new style, but at the heart of it, it'll be letting people tell their story. Exciting adventures all around the world. But till then, have a great day and happy adventures. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.